Well, that was fun. Um, thank you from the bottom of the hearts of people that will be receiving those funds. Um, how many of you guys know that what a church should be in a community or what a church can be in a community, it should be marked by generosity. It should be marked by kindness and thoughtfulness and love. And so when you guys do what you do so well, it, it really affirms that we're not a social club, we're not a political activist movement, we're certainly not a, a group of people trying to get greater fitness. We are uh, we're people marked by the generosity of a holy God, and the evidence is, is in your giving and the way you live your life. So thank you very much. I'm excited about that. How many of you guys were here last week? Say amen. You were here. How many of you guys caught the message? You weren't here, but you caught the message. Say amen. Okay, good. So last week was like hard. You know, what faith, like faith to move mountains. Yeah, but what happens when the mountain lands on your skull? What do you do then? So we talked about that. And today we're going to add another layer to that because uh, faith is, boy, what is faith? Faith is this unconditional trust in a person. We, we can trust the word of God. I know, but, and that's one, and we should, but if I could go one step even deeper to say the same thing from a different angle, we don't just trust the Bible. We, we trust its author. We, we trust who said it, not just what he said. We trust his character. We trust his nature. How many of you guys think, I mean, again, maybe just by, by a show of hands, how many of you guys think God might be a little smarter than you are? <laughs> might, might see some things you don't. And so in the end, what do we do but being like a child that is only two feet tall, trusting an adult that's six feet tall to tell us what he sees? Because from your vantage point, you can see what I'll never be able to see without you. So tell me what you see. Tell me that over that fence, there's a, there's a dog and I won't jump the fence. Tell me that on that branch, there's an apple and you're going to reach it for me. Tell me there's a place I've never been before and I'll follow you there because I trust you. I don't, I don't just trust that there's a map to a place. I don't just trust that there's a dog. I, I trust the one who tells me there's a dog on the other side of the fence. You see what I'm saying? So faith, understand, faith is not just knowing it and quoting it and claiming it and naming it. And, I, and to some degree, I have no issues with that. But remember, beyond it, there's a him who said it and who's promised to do it. So today we're going to take it a step farther with this series called I Belong to Jesus. So why is this next step needed? Um, it has been my experience that we like experiences. But beyond an emotional experience, how many of you guys enjoyed your wedding day? How many, how many of you guys enjoyed your wedding night? A, a distinctly male amen was heard in the house of God. Not a single female voice, fellas. I'm just saying, pointing that out. Pointing it out, just saying. We've, we've just missed the, the, the students. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you watching online, Donnell said, in all fairness, she's not here with me right now. Otherwise, and then he stopped. I don't know what he's going to say there. But, but beyond your wedding day and beyond your wedding night, there's a marriage. And that, that marriage is built on promises. It's built on keeping your word. It's built on trust and fidelity and faithfulness. And so in the same way, if we live for the Christian experience, we jump from experience to experience. When I gave my life to Jesus at a rock concert, it was a wonderful experience. So you, you know what I wanted to do next is, when is the next? Anybody know what's next? When's the next rock concert? Because that's where God lives. God must live in the rock concert, so I'm going to the rock concert. Some of you maybe went to youth camp. I can't wait for youth camp because that's where I experience God. And by no means am I demeaning experiences. But remember this, if what your Christianity is based off on is feelings, there are seasons, long seasons at times, where feelings will not be the prominent thing you feel. And yet faith is this requirement to hold on to the one at times it's hard to feel. Or it's not a mountaintop experience. How many of you guys know that when the teacher teaches, that's wonderful, but when the teacher gives the test, the teacher's normally silent. And you see what you learned. 
That is life. That is the Christian walk. So are you ready for the Word of God today? If you are, say amen. Here we go. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I love this. It says, divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. That is good news. Uh, his divine power, that's it's theos dunamis. And, and from that, we get the word God and dynamite. Do you get the picture? God and dynamite. It's, it is his God dynamite has given us everything we need for a godly life. The Shazam, the Kaboom, the Wow, the, the, all the onomatopoeias you can think of, right? They come together to give you this feeling of, of man, God. Like it's, it's his divine power that's given us everything we need for life. So, but understand this, there's, there's a through. Now, that's a statement, but it's an incomplete statement. Keep going. So let me read it again. His divine power is God dynamite. As Shazam is kaboom, has given us everything we need for a godly life through, everybody say through, through, our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his own goodness. Now, think of it this way. Knowledge speaks of intimacy. This word knowledge, it, it means, it doesn't mean mental assent. It means a complete oneness. There's a joining of, right? His glory and his goodness. I'll never forget the night, again, that I surrendered my life to Jesus, um, 40 two years ago, 16, now I'm 58, 42 years. Did I get that right, math teachers? I, did, I, I take off my shoes to really do it myself. Who clapped? Thank you, Miss Pat. And I was kind, yes, the medicine's working. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, and it is, it's interesting because I, do, I wasn't joining Christianity, and I hope I say this well, but if I were to, on the way down the aisle, someone would stop me and say, excuse me, what are, you, what, are you, what are you believing right now? I would have said, I'm believing that I'm loved. Loved by who? Well, loved by God. In what form? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or, or Jesus only, or have you been baptized yet? What version of the Bible do you read? Do you think the message is of the devil? Do you think the Passion Translation just goes too far into Pentecostal? Like, I would have not known any of those things. So why was I walking to that aisle? I was walking to that aisle because the Holy Spirit was touching my heart. My brain was engaged in the sense of, it's time to wake up now and walk to the front. But it wasn't this mental ascent into accepting theology. It was a relationship with a person. Can I give you another illustration so maybe you understand that better? The day my wife and I got married, she walked down an aisle. Did she know everything about me she was going to know about me 35 years later? No, what was she doing? She was having an experience of unity and romance and beauty and fulfilled promises, and satisfied longings, and the same thing is true. When I walked down that aisle, I was not saying I know everything about Jesus Christ. I was saying the only thing I know about Jesus Christ is I want him. I want him to be my savior. So beyond that, hear me, guys. The words that Peter uses here really resonates with me. He talks about his glory and his goodness. I got saved because of the glory and the goodness of God. I walked down that aisle because I saw a darkness that I lived in. I saw a light that was shining before me, and his name was Jesus. And it was this radical, beautiful departure from my norm. I went from the smoking area at Lakeland High School. I'm doing drugs every day. I'm, I'm selling drugs. I'm, you know, my, my mom's watching. This is embarrassing to tell her the truth about my childhood. This is, this is, I'm AD. This was BC, mama. That's all I'm saying, a long time ago. But here's your lunch money. It was like a dollar to get a cheeseburger or something. What was it now, like $17? It's like Starbucks coffee, right? You know, I had my dollar, but instead of spending the dollar on food, I spent the dollar on dope. Now, here's the good news. I'm an entrepreneur, so I turned the one joint into two. So I still ate. Does that make you feel better? It should. I still ate, right? You're laughing strangely. Like, you did this too? Is that, or you were one of my customers. I remember you, brother, you know? So it was, the, it was the glory and goodness. Like, I'm so tired of the darkness and depravity. 
Everything's a lie. No one knows me for real. I'm not sure if I know me for real. All I know about me is I don't want to be me. And someone said, I'll make you something new. And I felt that glory. I felt that goodness. And man, I ran for it. So understand this. That moment's beautiful, but we need something else beyond that moment. I'm, I'm not demeaning the moment of your wedding. I'm, I'm talking about the marriage that comes after this. So he continues. He says, through these, through these what? Through his glory and his goodness, he's done something else. He has given us his very great and precious promises. Now, Peter's setting us up. He's not demeaning the relational faith. He's saying that beyond relational faith, we need some substantial knowledge, the substance of things hoped for. Faith is a wonderful thing. Somebody say amen. Worship, we experience him, but you can't always sing in the front row of church when you're facing stuff. There has to be other things that get you beyond that. So think of God's promises this way. Look at this picture. I was looking for things that were very great. I came across this. Can you see it up there? Can you see the people? Look at the end of the bucket. You see those little ants? Those are full-grown West Virginia coal mining men. That's Bubba and Cecil. That's Cletus, and he's taking the wheel. You know what I mean? And, and, there, and that thing is a monster. Think of, the, think of what that can weigh. Think of what that takes to move that, and think of what that thing can move. And I think of something great. How many of us know that when God says great and precious promises, he means something stronger than that? He means supernaturally, uh, undefinably, irresistibly powerful. His very great promises, and he also calls them precious. Look at this. Every time I see this picture, I think, that woman needs to get her nails filled. <laughs> but when you look past the minutiae, <laughs> what you see is something that has unbelievable value, precious. How would you treat that? Where would you guard that? Would you put that on the gun safe on the nightstand? Probably not, because you can pick that up and carry it away. Where would you put it? You'd put it someplace in a safe in your basement? Probably not. Where would you put it? Someplace where precious things are held so that no one could ever take them from you. Hear me. The promises of God are both great and precious. Say it with me. The promises of God are both great and so this knowledge of Scripture, and he continues, look at this. What do these promises do for us? It says, so that through them, these very great and precious promises, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It's amazing. If you're going to belong to Jesus, and that's the theme of this, I belong to Jesus, you're going to have to trust his promises. And, and before you kind of get this, okay, he's preparing me for another hard Sunday, I don't mean just trust his promises when bad things happen. I mean trust his promises for good things to happen. I mean, standing on his word as truth beyond all truth, knowledge beyond all knowledge, peace beyond all peace, um, direction beyond all other direction, the voice that speaks beyond all the other voices that speak. Look at this. He continues, for this very reason, and this is where it's on us now. Remember, salvation is a gift from God, but this is not. Salvation is a gift from God. You see that? It's by grace you're saved through faith. That's not by works, so nobody can brag about it, how good they are and they earn this. But this one's on you. For this reason, make every Effort. Whose effort is this? Lord, I pray you'd give me a love for the word. Pray you give me the self-discipline to sit still and read the Bible. Give me understanding. I'm not saying those are bad prayers, but he, maybe that's an effort, but that effort's still on you. You have to know the word of God. Make every effort to add to your experiential faith. We've already established that. These biblical concepts like goodness. How many of you guys know you don't know what good is until the Bible tells you what good is? This is good. This is evil. How do we know the difference? Because Scripture tells us the difference between good and evil. Add to this biblical knowledge. 
And then things like self-control that come from Scripture and perseverance that comes from Scripture and godliness that comes from learning and growing and studying these words, right? Mutual affection. It's funny, that, that comes so far down the line after all this other stuff, but mutual affection. And then this thing called love, the most excellent way Paul says, you know? Think of it this way, guys. If we are going to live this Christian life, it cannot be a conference to conference and concert to concert and experience to experience. I love the mountaintops, but that's not where the corn grows. The corn grows between the mountains. That's where the fruit comes from, the fruit of your life. Thank God for the mountaintops. Thank God for the rivers. Thank God for the oceans. Thank God for the deserts. Understand this. The corn don't grow in those places. The stuff that people need grows between those places in your life. So we have to cultivate this. Come on. We've got to get this into our head and get this into our heart. We've got to know the word of God. So the night I surrendered to Jesus, I experienced God, but I, but I failed to make any real effort to do anything to do with scripture. I went to the next concert and then I went to the next concert and then I went to boot camp. Anybody guess what happens next? Where they strip down everything you were. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, your religion, your race, your politics, you're nothing. And then somebody does a push-up right one day, and they go, now, that's the way a United States soldier does a push-up. Everybody and their brother goes, how do you do that? I want to do it that way. I want someone to tell me I'm pretty. <laughs> you know, like it's been so long. Does someone tell me I'm not stupid or ugly or talk about my mama, you know? And so you do that. And in the process of tearing down everything, because I didn't have a foundation, I had a mountaintop. In many ways, I walked away from the mountaintop. I'm saying this because I think, I wish someone would have said to me what I'm about to say to you. I wasted the next two and a half years of my life thinking that Jesus was something children experience in their lowest point rather than walking with Christ through scripture, through prayer, through just being with him between the mountains. And maybe this statement will help you understand what I'm saying. I eventually drifted back to a life where Jesus was savior, but Jim was Lord. On purpose, I let that just dangle in silence for a minute. It's just fun to be me sometimes. When I wrote it, I was quiet after I wrote it. I remember this. And, and I, I would wrestle with this today. Or Jesus is Savior. Thanks, I'm going to heaven. But I'll, I'll take it from here, Father. Thanks for all your help. But uh, to believe you in this area would be harder than just believing me or a process or a politician or a prophet or I'd just really rather do it my way. And in doing so, we find ourselves walking away. Listen to this. Jesus saved me. But at some point, I belonged to Jim, not to Jesus. Are you getting this today? Jesus saved me. Do you guys see that? 16-year-old walks down the aisle, doesn't know anything. But I leave knowing him, but not knowing much. Not knowing enough that when times got hard or just, just between the mountaintops, it was very difficult to stay connected because the song wasn't always playing or I wasn't always with that group of friends or I wasn't always in that environment of young people that love Jesus. I was around with soldiers that were not so much loving Jesus except to use his name when they stubbed their toe or whatever, right? So in some ways today, I'm talking to you like I wish someone would have talked to me a long time ago to tell you this. Between the mountains is where the corn grows. And the kingdom of God needs people that are corny. <laughs> Not just mountainous. Fruitful. Fruit that lasts. Fruit that, that becomes seed in somebody else's life so they can begin to feed themselves. Fruit that becomes seeds in other people's lives that become a harvest so that people can feed off of our lives. I love the environments of the mountaintops. Are we getting that today? I love the altar calls. I, I love people getting saved. It's one of my favorite parts of being a follower of Jesus and a preacher of the gospel. But I'm gonna tell you this. When the experiences of Christmas are over with, when the experiences of camp are over with, when the experience of Easter are over with, there's a lot of living between those holidays. 
was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he's talking about how he was going to um, a church service, a traditional church service that uh, the church he was raised in, and he said, man, if you're going to go to the Christmas service, you got to go there early to get a seat because all the, he called them Christians, all the Christians are there. And I thought about, what's that mean? The Christians, like the Christmas and Easter Christians? The Christers, the, yeah, the Christians. And, and the thought was that there are people that I want to be there for that experience because we're going to sing Joy to the World and we're going to have candles and take communion and my granddaughter's going to be in a dress and my grandson's going to be in a suit that's going to be covered in chocolate because he's still my grandson no matter what happens. You know what I mean? I, I'm going to have this great experience and that's a wonderful thing, but how many guys know that between one Christmas and the next, there's a lot of corn that needs to be planted? That's what we're talking about. Listen, continues. Look at this. But whoever does not have them, these promises, these great and precious promises, and he uses the, the analogy of vision. He's nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their sins. Now, just real quickly, just help me. Don't, don't say it out loud because I don't want you to say the wrong answer. But think about this. Who is he talking to? Is Peter writing an epistle to unbelievers? Or is he writing this letter to believers? It's believers. What's he saying? Be careful that between your mountaintops, you ignore these precious promises, these great promises. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, not by every mountaintop that God graces us to visit. So there's a, there's a daily eating, there's a daily bread, there's a manna from heaven, there's a speaking, there's a spoken, there's a will speak. There, these are the words that, that we are to live by, the promises. And if you're not living by the promises, God, then, then what are you living from? The American dream? some sort of agenda that was established for you by your parents, your financial planner, your favorite politician, your favorite sports team? If we aren't directed by God and his word, no wonder so many of us who are saved are still lost. I don't mean we're not going to heaven. I mean, we're not bringing heaven to earth. We're, we're corny, but we're not fruitful corny. That was a corny joke right there just to prove it. Thank you. One believer in this room. Hallelujah. Thank you. He continues, look at this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling. That is your purpose. And election, that is God's purpose for you. Make every effort. This, now, who is this on? Every effort's on who? Him or us? Every effort to know these promises and every effort to activate them, right? Make every effort to confirm your calling, your purpose, and election. For if you do these things, I love this. Here's a promise for you right now. You will never stumble. Why? Because you can clearly see. You can clearly see things that that God has clearly shown us in his word. Um, I knew this was gonna happen. These things are just so ridiculous. How many of you guys know that you can find anything that you wanna find as a prop in the children's section of this church? I looked around, looked around, looked around, you know what I mean? And finally I found Brianna, who does our elementary. I said, Denny, sunglasses? She goes, right here? I was, literally, if it was a snake, I'd have been killed. It was right there. She pulls out a basket and pulls out the perfect illustrations for today. So I'm gonna put these glasses on. And what happens, <laughs> never mind. What happened? isn't this cool? Hey, the 60s were awesome. Don't judge me. I mean, imagine all the people living. The, yeah. But, but you know what happened? You didn't change, except in the way I see you now. I can still see people leaving in the middle of my sermon, though. I'm just saying I'm not deaf. I'm blind. Sorry. Sorry, I had to do that. was me. Yeah. <laughs> But you changed. I see you differently now. Why? Because you changed? No, because the glasses I put on. Let's put these on. Man, these are awesome. Look at these blue ones. Oh, joy to the world. It's time to take a nap. This is that blue light that we always turn on when, like the snow should start falling and it's the end of the Hallmark movie where they kiss. And you know what I mean? That's what the, the whole world, you changed. But did you change? Did the distance from where I am to that door change? 
Does the color of your shirt change? Are you suddenly, did you eat something in Willy Wonka's factory that you shouldn't have eaten and suddenly you're turning blue, Violet? No, but that's what I'm seeing you as. Why? Because I changed the lens that changed the color. Look at these, man. <laughs> Imagine there's a heaven. <laughs> and Yoko hadn't split us up. We'd all got saved. Lucy in the sky. You guys are going back to the 60s. Stay here with me. Stay here with me. You can play. <laughs> I went from the Beatles to Elton John. I'm taking them off, man. But you change. And you know what else changes? Is I, I have uh, some eye situations where I, I can't see you clearly right now. If you had writing on your sweater or the details of your face, if I didn't know what you look like, my brain's trying to fill in the gaps. People I don't know, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what they look like. I, I see Desi, he's like, I know what Desi looks like, and my brain kind of fills in the gaps and I can see him. But I, I'm recognizing things, but I'm not seeing things clearly. Does that make sense? So understand this. The worldview that you carry, how you digest, what you see through, has a lot to do with what you see. And Peter's saying this, listen to me. He's saying, you've got to have a worldview that isn't just the mountaintop experience, Jesus, go to the conference, go to camp, you know, worship night, communion, uh, Christmas, Easter. You, you've got it. That will give you a worldview of Jesus lives on mountaintops. He's on the mountaintops, amen? But he's also in the valleys. And if you get it all wrong, like, like I make my decisions based on the paradigm of other things, then, then you see things that are not as though they were <laughs> in a bad way. Right now, you're blurry. Right now, you look a lot better. Now, most of you look a lot better, right? There we go. What I'm trying to say is this. There's a national survey that was taken. Catch this. 62% of Americans, when they're asked, are you unspiritual, moderately spiritual, spiritual, uh, kind of like medium well spiritual, or do you consider yourself deeply spiritual? Two out of three Americans said, I am deeply spiritual. It was just funny as you can be deeply spiritual and make commitments to absolutely nothing today. That's a lot of fun, right? So they broke it down. They said, now when it comes to spirituality, how does that spirituality actually affect your decision-making paradigms? Like it's, it's time now to see. It's time to do. It's time to fire. It's time to live. What, what is creating reality in your spirituality? And this is what they said. 31% said they make moral choices based on what feels right and comfortable. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Uh, that's, that's the lens of humanism or hedonism, right? 18% said, whatever is best for me. So 49% said, my feelings and my preferences. That's what decides morality in my deeply spiritual view of life. But just for giggles, let's say you have a 16-year-old daughter. And a 16-year-old boy shows up at your doorstep one day, knocks on the door. And he says, sir, I'd like to ask permission to date your daughter. And the father says, well, come inside to the gun room. <laughs> Let's talk about how fast you can run. And I'll show you the shovel where I hit the last four boys that asked the same question. And I dug a hole and I'm not afraid to go back to prison. All the things that good fathers say at a moment like this, right? And uh, he goes back there and he says, I just have a question for you. When it comes to treating my daughter, you know, I, I, are you spiritual? Oh, I'm deeply spiritual. Great. Um, based on that, how does that affect your morality? Well, I, you know what? Um, it just depends on the moment. How many guys are loading the gun? And tell me about the moment. Well, in the moment, whatever feels comfortable to me or feels right 
to me or seems like it's best for me. And that's where that sound is. Everybody know the sound? All the, I, I, there's none of that, yeah. And you just say, pull. And Bubba better run. Why? Because he's making his decisions based on the wrong paradigm. Every father wants to hear, by the way, from a 24-year-old man courting his 24-year-old daughter after they both have received their master's degrees. How will you treat my daughter? I will treat her in accordance to the guidelines of Scripture, sir. Because she, ooh, that's close. She is your daughter until such a day as she's my wife. And when she is my wife, Lord willing, I will take care of her as I care for myself. I will lay myself down for her and I'll wash her with the word and I will protect her integrity. I'll protect her heart. I'll protect her testimony. I'll leave no room for error. Sir, whatever your rules are, you say have her home at 10, I'll have her home at 9.30. Not in the driveway, in the family room. I like what Pastor Les said to my son, Pastor J.D., as he was courting Pastor Les's daughter. He said, listen, I understand that as your affections grow, you're gonna wanna express those things. And I understand that, but I just want you to remember one thing as you do. It's very important to me. Whatever you do with my daughter, I'm going to do to you. <laughs> there, there were no problems. <laughs> Strangely enough. So one out of two deeply spiritual people have no greater foundation for their decisions than their own feelings. He said, that's terrible. But it actually gets worse. One out of seven, 14% says, whatever causes the least conflict with others, your deep spirituality leads you to blend in with every other person in the room that has an opinion. You see what I'm saying? Guys, hear me. You put that all together. That's 63% of people who consider themselves deeply spiritual making decisions based on their feelings and their fears. So what is Scripture? Scripture is not colored lenses. It's corrective lenses. 16% of people said they're deeply spiritual said, how do you make your decisions? They said, well, I made my decisions based on what scripture has told me. Can I tell you, I still want to be dating my 16-year-old daughter. I don't have one, but in my imagination, I've always had one and been very protective of her and all 16-year-old boys are evil. Can I get a good amen, fathers? There it is. That's And I got some ladies too, amen. We know it because we used to be 16-year-old boys. That's how we know what we're saying. But this this thought of, I'm going to make a decision in a moment of fear, in a moment of pressure, in a moment of pleasure, we would all believe that's probably the wrong time and the wrong paradigm with which to make decisions. So how do we make decisions? We make decisions by saying, what has God said? And we don't put on colored lenses, we put on corrective lenses. Now it doesn't matter what I thought I saw, I can now see. How can I see? Because God's word shows me what is, not what I hope is, not what I fear is, not what I think is, not what I was taught is. These lenses show me what is. And this is why I come back to you and saying, I love the rock concert. I love the mountaintops. But the corn has grown in the valleys. For us to have this, this walking with Jesus where he helps us make these decisions, these great and precious promises coming to pass. So I'm gonna give you three things. That was the introduction. Just kidding. Three things real quick. Matter of fact, piano guy, join me so they know that I'm closing. Oh, piano gal. Sorry. Careful of the colored lenses. I'll use that in the next. I'll just crush them all in the next one just to make a better point, you know. What are you going to do? Here's my advice. You ready? Number one, you need to get a Bible. You need to get a Bible app. You need to get a paper Bible. You need to get a New Testament and Psalms. You need, to get, you need to get a Bible, and you need to read the Word of God. Now, I'll just say this. I'm being utterly transparent. When you first read the Bible, the first Bible I was given was a King James Bible. As if it weren't hard enough, they gave me antiquated English and no coloring section in the back of the book. 
There were no scratch and sniffs. There was no connect the dots. It was just, and you, well, just read the New Testament. And, you know, Bubba layeth with, you know, Bubette, and Barney was born, and Barney lay with Betty, and Betty, born child to witness, and kicketh against the goads. And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I can barely speak English, let alone read Old English. Are you with me? So someone else gave me a New Testament Bible, which is awesome. And I'm, or I'm sorry, NIV, uh, uh, nearly infallible version, or the New International Version. And I started reading that. Well, it was seventh grade English, and that helped me a lot. I started to read it. Now, I'll be honest with you. I wish someone would write a Bible where it says, Abram, parentheses, later to be known as Abraham. Cephas, later to be known as, as Peter. Prince, formerly known as Prince. <laughs> but it wasn't there. So I, I read it. Did you understand it? No. But I was getting dots of knowledge. And then I hear somebody preach on this, and they connected that dot to that dot. I didn't know that dot connected that dot. And I hear a story, and I go, I know that story. Well, I, I knew most of it until the guy taught on it, or the lady taught on it, and I realized, oh, I, there's other things about that story I didn't know. That still happens to me. And I started, like, I'm, I'm reading stuff. I was, I was getting the puzzle pieces out of the box, believing that at some point they'll all fit together and form a picture. Well, it's just, puzzles are hard. Stop. You were created to solve mysteries. Don't let it's too hard be the lie that keeps you from the truth and the truth teller. God reveals himself in his word, does he not? It may not be a mountaintop, but man, it's a foundation you can build your house on. So get the Bible, read it. Second thing, get the Bible from here to here. I call it knowing the Bible. And, and this, you know, you might read the Bible through in a year. That's great, but you probably, you'll have familiarity with stories. But I'd also say this, um, like when I do the Bible in a year, I always highlight things that I get to come back to later on because I'm buzzing past it to make my homework assignment to stay on target. That makes sense? But I want to come back to sometimes one word. I have learned more through single words in the Bible, like goodness, like love, right? The things he talked about, adding these biblical things to our experiential faith. Like what if you were to study for the next year God's meaning of the word goodness? Would you know more about the goodness of God a year from now than you do today? Then go hunting for it. Get it from here to here. And the last thing is this, and you gotta hear me. As you're reading these things, we're not just learning something. We're not just, you know, feeling something. We're developing a relationship with someone. And I think that really is the thing that's just, it's just hard to break. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just hard to break. If nothing can separate me from the love of Christ, then I need to really experience and know on a daily basis the love of Christ. I need to know it's there even when it's not, even when I can't feel it. It is there, but I, I need to know it's there even when I can't feel it because sometimes pain overwhelms lesser sensations. We're programmed to feel pain primarily. Does that make sense? If, if someone is, is uh, rubbing your feet at the same time and someone walks up and slaps you in the head, which one do you feel? Like, oh, that foot rub feels so good. <laughs> You're like, hey, that hurt. The whole foot rub will be over with. Well, life's like that, right? Man, things are good. Kids are great. You know, presents are wrapped, cookies are decorated, nobody's got COVID, it's not 2020, hallelujah, or gathering trees are up, it's like, it's good. But understand this, guys, there, there will come a time when just life goes bap. And in that moment, you gotta say, it doesn't negate what I just said, but I, I need another type of faith to combat the slap in the head. I need another kind of faith, so hear me. We're, we're gonna close this up here, and uh, I'll just uh, say this to you. And, and Lyndon... I'll just look in this camera right here. Camera number one. I don't know if it's camera number one. I just made that up, but it sounds good, right? 
Pastor Jason, you're too thin. Get fat and old. Thanks, man. God bless you as you land the plane out there in Linden and Pontotoc and Grand Blanc. Love you guys. Let me just say this. Why do we need to know these things? Because when God says words like forgiveness, there's no one else to compare his mercy to in this life. So you better know the author, not just his words, because you have to trust something you've never experienced from anyone else. When he says great and precious, I can get you pictures of diamonds and nail fill-ins and mining equipment, but how many guys know a picture of something might help us understand a concept, maybe file it in a different drawer in our brain to come back later on to, but we need to experience how great the promises of God are and how precious they are. So you've got to know these things. If, you're, if I'm talking to you about two weeks from the day, we're going to talk about forgiveness. There'll be those who say that's nice for other people, but you don't know what I've done and you don't know who I've hurt. And we'll recognize in that moment that people who are telling us to forgive are people who murdered Christians. They said, this one thing I do. You hear what I'm saying? You've got to know how great the promises of God are. They're actually greater than your sin. They're actually greater than your fears. We talk about being an orphan and then being adopted in the family of God and then becoming a son or a daughter and then becoming an heir. You've, you've got to believe, not just the words. You can memorize the words and never know the heart behind them. You've got to know the word of God. Have I made myself clear? You got it? So this isn't like, hey, that was inspirational. It's not. It's applicational. Make every effort. Man, come to coffee with men. Was it 5.30 in the morning, Isaiah? Five three in the morning. Sit back there with a bunch of guys and talk about Jesus. Be a part of a group that meets in people's homes. Get on the Bible app and, and invite people and just say, I, I, I want to do this devotion. It means something to me. And invite people to come along. But don't be alone in a room with a book you don't understand when there are fathers and mothers among us and uncles and aunts and crazy cousins and radical rebels and wonderful zealots. Like we, we can learn more from asking people what they see when they see Jesus sometimes even than us looking at him because they, they show us a three-dimensional understanding of who he is versus a one-dimensional flannel graph. We have this treasure that is precious and powerful given to us. Read the word of God. Somebody say amen. So is, shouldn't this be like a New Year's sermon? as we're making our resolutions, I want to get in early because we always break the New Year's Day ones. By the time the ham is thrown away or finished eating, by the time Michigan is national champions, we break most of our things. This isn't a, this isn't a, a resolution. It's life. So Father, I, I pray that today, as we close our time here, you would take us from inspiration to application all the way through perspiration. There's a schedule that has lorded over us an absence of time to spend learning great and precious promises from you. But at the name of Jesus, every knee is supposed to bow and every, every tongue is supposed to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, not Jim's schedule. So we make room. We make time. Will every day be a mountaintop? Nope. Planting corn isn't nearly as dramatic as climbing a mountain. The multitudes aren't fed with mountain climbers. They're fed with farmers. So we pray, make us farmers. Plant seeds in our heart that produce fruit over time that we begin to feed to others and plant into others and sow into others. God, we pray that this church and the people that hear this voice, the radio, the internet, 
right here, right now. God, I pray, may, may you put such great seed into such great soil that we become a group that knows how to feed nations and neighbors and everything in between. We love the mountaintops, God. We're not saying don't do that again. Do it again. Do it today. Between the mountaintops and the concerts and the conferences and the camps, God, I, I pray, may we just be good farmers of good seed. May our hearts be consistently watered, consistently plowed, and consistently planted, God. If you're here right now and there's that promise, if you do these things, you won't stumble. I just want to close this way. I said, Jim, that's nice, but I, I have. I have stumbled. What do I do? Well, you, you trust the word of God and you trust the author. They would tell you in a hundred different ways from a thousand different angles that nothing you will ever do will be greater than what he's done for you. You admit that your life has violated either a law you know or an inner law that you feel, but you know that God has something better than what you've become for you, something better than what you did to others or to yourself, better. It's just something's missing. And so you have stumbled. That Listen, the, the word of God is just replete with Scripture that says over and over and over again, come to me, come to me. He doesn't go away from me until you're perfect. Come to me when you're weary, when you're heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to me, come to me. So in this room right now, if you have stumbled, can you hear his voice? He's not saying away from me. He's saying, come to me. Why? Because in his hand <laughs> is heaven. And he's extending it to you. Listen, change your mind about God because the kingdom of heaven is so close right now that if you were to reach out, you touch the king. Your heart, engage with his heart and a moment of humility can reverse generational curses. And from that mountaintop experience of salvation or a prodigal coming home or just sprinkling our hearts to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, all those things, Hebrews, Romans, in the Gospel of John, I believe, all those words I just said are various moments of cleansing and healing. But understand this, when you're done with that, would you just pick up the Word of God? And if you get stuck on one word, stay in that word for the next 10 years until you're a global expert. Saturate yourself with this truth. Take off your colored glasses. Realize you do need to see better than you can without the correction lenses. Put on the Word of God. And whatever you see is, it is. Father, today I pray. Come on, pray with me right now. Jesus, would you just fill us? Jesus, would you help us? Would you give us self-discipline, a hunger, a passion, a, a discipline, God, to memorize, to meditate, to read? Father, would you forgive all of my sins, all of my yesterdays under just a bath of mercy, just a, a deluge, a waterfall. As you scrub the earth with a flood in the days of Noah, scrub my heart and my soul and my spirit, God. Wash away until only that which lives is that which you want to live. Destroy the rest of it, God, until there's nothing left. I give you me and I accept you. Tell him right now in your own words, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. In a moment, I'm going to release us from this room and two things can happen. It's up to you. Um, we will have some altar workers that would be here to maybe talk to you a little bit, pray with you a little bit, understand a little bit, maybe give you, a, you know, what do you mean when he said this? Maybe they'll be able to help you that way. But if, you're, if you're, you're still chewing, feel free to stay as long as you like. Do you want someone to help you chew this a little bit? Or do you need specific prayer for healing? Or 
a loved one that needs deliverance or whatever it is, come forward and we're going to pray for you. And the other one is, if you don't need those things, and again, here's my assignment. Shockingly, one out of three people in America suffer from depression. And one of the most beautiful things to get people free from that is relationship, connection. The ministry that takes place off this platform is often more profound in people's lives than the ministry that takes place on this platform. Good friends, committed to each other, praying for each other, reading scripture together, knowing each other's lives. That, that is literally one of the greatest cures for anxiety and depression and all the mental issues that, that doubled during COVID. Come on, it's time for the body of Christ to care about more than just the people in the row. Somebody say amen. So when I, if, you're, if you need prayer, come on forward. But if you got something to give away, find somebody. How you doing, man? Just want to say, pastor told me to do this. I'm a shy person. I don't even like him right now, but I'm not a disobedient and rebellious person. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll do what Bubba asked me to do, I guess, in this case. Find somebody, and by the time they leave this room, make sure somebody knows their name, that they're loved. And everybody said amen. Amen. Stand your feet. You guys ready for Saturday night? Five o'clock. All family, seven o'clock, all family, but all your family will be here, not no children's ministry. And then a week from the day, guys, it'll be, we'll be like uh, 10 minutes into Christmas stories and pajamas and pink bunnies and Chinese food. So have a great week. God bless you. Any prayer come this way? If not, go that way. Meet each other before you leave. You are dismissed.